You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis. Earlier in the week, and by earlier in the week, Monday show, uh, I talked about how I was going to be digging a little more into the history of the Indians, Um, maybe making it a a one-day-a-week thing or more, depending on how things would go. Because we had such a big event to talk about on Monday that it took one show for one event, kind of opened up this week, and specifically for March 25th to be a day, we talk about uh, some other interesting trades in Indians history, and also looking at uh, some trades that maybe they missed out on as well, involving uh, some of these players. So on this date, March 25th, um, there are a pair of trades that occurred, one in 89, and one in 97. Now the 89 deal was more that uh, a player to be named later was was sent forward but uh, in 97 it was a big deal and I'm sure many of you can already figure out and remember what trade that was but uh, for the 1989 Cleveland Indians they uh, having already done a deal with uh, acquiring Felix Fermin the Indians uh, got Denny Gonzalez a infielder and uh, sent to the Pittsburgh Pirates J Bell. Now as a kid this was one of those deals that was um, I distinctly recall being maybe not cursed at but uh, held in extreme negative regard. Uh, Bell which is interesting because really during his time like 89, 90, 91 uh, those were not his strongest years. Like he peaked in 1993 with the Pirates making one of his two All-Star Game appearances, winning a gold glove that year, silver slugger, all of it. But uh, he was a consistently solid shortstop, whereas um, Felix Fermin could defend. But, I, I mean, he, there are currently pitchers and two-way players who have uh, better skills in the batter's box than Felix Fermin had. Uh, in terms of Denny Gonzalez, at that point in time, Denny Gonzalez had already played parts of the 84, 85, 87, and 88 season with the Pirates. Um, He would appear in 89 in eight games for the Indians over 19 plate appearances, and that would signify the end of his major league career. He'd get in just shy of 100 games, though. So, uh, I mean, shy of 100 games is pretty darn good, considering most of us are currently sitting at zero. But uh, Denny Gonzalez was the the other player in that deal. Uh, Jay Bell would end up going to the Pirates, and that's where he'd play the majority of uh, his career, uh, at least those kind of peak years, at least for myself, that we think about. Um, for a long time, it really felt like this deal, the Indians horribly blew, because the shortstop position was really hard to find someone good at it for a long time, and, you know, Fermin was not good, and then they flipped him for Omar Vizcal, and the interesting thing, and we'll talk about this in a bit, is it took Vassell a while to turn into a, a you know, a, an above-average major league hitter. Uh, his first few years in Cleveland, he was kind of a net deficit in the batter's box. Um, he, he really matured as a hitter to get to that point where he uh, was a, you know, a positive force uh, in the field and in the batter's box. And eventually, when he turned into that, all of a sudden you could go back and make, oh, well... You know, the J-Bell deal got us here, so it's hard to argue with it. But, uh, yeah, that trade, like I said, it originally, let's see, the first trade, when I scroll down, because 
why would I have transactions up when I'm talking about trades? Yeah, the first trade would occur in November of that year, November 28th. And then the final bit would, you know, where the players to be named later, you know, and of course, November 28th was actually of 88, while this final bit was of 89, March 25th, where all the final pieces were moving around and uh, come together. It is interesting. Jay Bell's most similar scores, third, Toby Herrera, former Indian, four, Johnny Peralta, former Indian, five, Brandon Phillips, former Indian, eight, Orlando Cabrera, former Indian. So he's got a lot of Indians on that list. And then when you look by year uh, on that list, most common player, Astrupo Cabrera, former Indian, does pop up. Another player that pops up, uh, well, two, Alan Trammell and Craig Biggio, a pair of Hall of Famers. And Alan Trammell is actually on his his top 10 similarity scores. Uh, very good player at his peak. Um, one, though, who you went from kind of cursing to um, being quite thankful for the trade the Indians made. Now, the Indians did make another deal in 1997, but it was interesting as I was kind of looking into specifics on the J. Bell deal. Um, I found an AP article from November 20th of 1996, and I'm going to read some of this because it's fascinating just how much information there was how uh, people were just straightforward and honest about things and how everything was kind of put on Front Street back then. Uh, I think it's a real interesting thing to look at this. And then also realize that uh, as we're talking about what the Indians are considering doing in 1996 at this point, this is all before the next deal we'll talk about, which happened in 1997. So we'll finish off talking about the J-Bell trade here, have our sponsor break, and then come back to talk about the deal that did happen in 1997. But before we get into that article, let's talk about the trade that had happened in early November this year, which then caused this other rumored deal. Like I said, it, it's all connected and it's all fun, but it's interesting how we get there. So in November of that year, um, at this point in time, the Indians have lost Albert Bell. They're kind of looking to fill that power void. They're trying to figure things out as a team. And on November 13th, they trade Jeff Kent, who they had just gotten, along with Jose Vizcaino, who they had just gotten, to the San Francisco Giants. Um along with Julian Tavares for uh, Trinidad Hubbard and uh, Matt Williams. The Indians also sent Joe Roa. It was, it, you know, it's also interesting that, like, they could make a deal on November 13th, and then on December 16th, two other players get included in the trade, just kind of the odd timing of it. But at this point, you know, the Indians sent, uh, don't have any second baseman because they traded them all away. Uh, with Kent and Tavares and Albert Espinosa and Carlos Baerga, uh, they are uh, bereft at the position. They have added Matt Williams. And now we're going to go back to this article. Uh, so, which is Pirates and Indians discuss Jay Bell trade. And again, this is from November 20th, about a week after that deal that we mentioned for Matt Williams. Uh, so the teams discussed a seven-player deal involving Bell and Jeff King, but the Indians are now focusing on Bell as Jose Vizcaino's replacement. And then as we go down through here, um, that San Diego is also interested in Bell, but unless the two sides can come to a compromise, San Diego is going to send a pitching prospect to Florida for Marlins infielder Quillo Veras. Um, then it, it, as I kind of go down further, uh, I'm trying to get to where it kind of... Uh, okay, here we go. So Bonifay would like to get rookie reliever Danny Graves, who had 19 saves and a 1.48 ERA last season at AAA. But with Eric Plunk, now a free agent, the Indians seem unwilling to part with Graves. The Pirates also inquired about infielder Enrique Wilson, but the Indians general manager, John Hart, is reluctant to let him go. The Pirates were reluctant to pick up money, 
but uh, McClatchy now seems willing to pay between five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to expedite a deal, so that you just have specific prospects that the teams have called and asked about, and they're being told no, along with you know the exact amounts of money. Knowing there was going to be a seven-player deal, now obviously the idea of adding Matt or uh, Jeff King at the time, uh, who had been a first baseman, a third baseman, and a second baseman, was before you uh, you go out and you add somebody like uh, Matt Williams. But it would have been interesting that you know after that they made that deal, the Indians no longer had an interest in King. Uh, King and Bell would get shipped to Kansas City, which was uh, it made me dig into Kansas City a bit at the time. It was a uh, an odd addition for the Royals. Uh, that was in December 13th, so just a few weeks after that article. But uh, what's interesting here is Kansas City actually had kind of an interesting core in place. Offensively, they were a disaster in 96. Mike McFarland, the catcher, was their best player. But the pitching staff was really what stood out at the time. And when you, you know, I'd totally forgotten about some of the guys on that team, but when you look at like the 1997. Uh, Kansas City Royals, who finished last last in the AL after going out and acquiring a 30 home run guy and a, a former Gold Glove uh, offensive shortstop, who then went on to have an excellent year uh, with Bell. Uh, Jose Offerman had been good the year before, wasn't this year for them. They had uh, Jermaine Dye come up and kind of fail, and eventually he would uh, lose opportunities to play there. Johnny Damon would get a very short look. That's part of the reason the Royals struggled. <laughs> they didn't let their young kids get that extended look, but what was fun just to look at with this Royals team was, you know, they had Kevin Belt, Kevin, they had Tim Belcher, who was at the end of his career. Kevin Apier was, I don't know if people remember how good Kevin Apier was in the 90s. Jose Rosado was a pitcher I'd completely forgotten about, a two-time All-Star, who, as I was doing research here, just made me kind of like stop and and look at the numbers. Um, Jim Pitsley, Glendon Rush pitched forever, uh, Chris Haney had pitched the year before. Jeff Montgomery was an all-star level reliever for them. Like, they had some pieces in place. So I get why they made the trade they did, but still, it seems uh, ill-advised for a team that wasn't even 500 the year before. So just quickly on Jose Rosado before we go into the break. In 96, he is sublime in 100 innings. 106 innings, a 1.55 ERA+. Finishes fourth in Rookie of the Year. Age 22, makes the all-star game. His ERA plus is a 100. Next year, it's a 101. So two solid years. 1999, he is back. Uh, 129 ERA plus makes his second All-Star team. So he is 24 years old, three full seasons, one half a season, two All-Star appearances. Year 2000, he pitches 27.2 innings. He's just 25 years of age, has a torn rotator cuff, and that's it. Doesn't even pitch in the minors again. Barely 25, and a two-time All-Star the left-hander, and that's the end of his career. I mean, it just, I mean, that stuff is mind-boggling to me. Uh, the only other data for him in the system was in 2008, 2009, at age 33, that he pitched uh, 3.1 innings in the, uh, the, I bet that's the Puerto Rican Winter League, where he was probably at that point a manager and was just doing something as fill-in outings. But I, I'm always fascinated by those guys who, in uh, his birthday is in November, so you know, he was born in 74, so you're looking at 2000. So, yeah, he was he was 25. He was on his way to turn 26, but still. Three and a half seasons, two all-star games, and it's done. Like, I, you know, I've talked about it with Indians guys. I'm just I'm fascinated by those types of players. 
Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about the 97 Indians. We're going to talk about the trade that was made. We're going to talk about what the team would look like if they had pulled off both the Bell and King trade as well as the trade that they did manage to pull off. Withings is our fantastic sponsor, and during these hard times, if you need to scale, Withings is the company to go with. They were the company with the first smart scale, and they are still the best, rated so by Tom's Guide uh, as the top smart scale of 2020. If you're looking to lose weight, willpower is the key, but you need the right tools to help you get there. The Withings Smart Scale are known for durability and exceptional user-friendly design. You get step on, you step on them and get data from every weigh-in syncing automatically to your phone via the free app from iOS or Android, which you can sync up via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. If you're someone who doesn't like having all that Bluetooth around you, this is one of the few scales that is Wi-Fi enabled. It also means you don't have to have your phone on you. The Withings Body Plus gives you weight, full body composition, weight trend, and even the local weather. The scale can support up to eight different users so everyone in the family can have a profile. Here is our deal. You get 25% off the Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com for a very limited time. Go to withings.com, W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com slash MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off the Body Plus Body Composition Scale. Go check them out. They're doing us a real solid during these uncertain times. Uh, so I, I really do appreciate it with things. So let's get into it. So the we talked about kind of looking at a J-Bell trade that nearly happened in 86-87. Didn't come together. Um, unfortunately for the Indians, uh, you know, it's one of those things when we look at the 1990, uh, you know, it's when you look at what... J. Bell did in 1997. I mean, I think it is unfortunate that they couldn't figure out a way to get him. Uh, again, in 1997, J. Bell ends up hitting 291, 368 on base, 461 slugging, 21 home runs, 28 doubles, 71 walks to 101 strikeouts. Um, that is a really good season. Now, as you recall, 97 was the Tony Fernandez year. And, you know, Tony Fernandez had some big hits for the Indians, but he only appeared in 120 games. The Indians were searching for options that whole year um, at at second base, and you know if you could have instead had J Bell there in '97 when he was a 2.1 defender and a 2.2 bat and good for four wins, I, I mean that would have been huge for the Cleveland Indians. That would have been such an upgrade. Fernandez was good, but he was not um, the level that the Indians uh, would have gotten in J Bell. That's just a straight miss for the Indians. And then when you look at, you know, 97, Plunk, they end up re-signing anyways. Uh, he pitches on that team. He's he's a league average pitcher. Danny Graves appears in 11.1 innings. So if Danny Graves really was the holdup, I mean, that stinks, especially because Danny Graves eventually does get traded uh, for John Smiley, who, like, breaks his arm. What? Yeah, there it is. 37.1 innings with the... No, I think that was that year. That wasn't with the Indians, right? In my mind, John Smiley never actually pitched for the Indians. I'm probably wrong in this. Uh, no, he appeared in 37.1 innings with the Cleveland Indians, broke his arm, and never came back. I shouldn't laugh at that. He was only 32 years of age. But it's still, it's just one of those like things me and my friends complained about for eons. But yeah, the Indians ended up trading away Danny Graves anyways. Um, Smiley barely plays for him. Uh, if, you'd done G- if they had gotten Jay Bell somehow for him instead, that was... 
I mean, uh, this Indians lineup. And if you think about if they had somehow done some bigger deal for Jeff King, it's not necessarily something they needed to do. But if you could have ended up with Sandy Almar at catcher, first baseman Tomey, second base J-Bell, shortstop Vizquel, third base Matt Williams, uh, center field Brian Giles, right field uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, David Justice in left, and your DH being Jeff King, that's uh, that's a pretty good team. And uh, I mentioned David Justice, and if you if that rings some bells... That is because that is the bigger deal that happened later on that year, on this date in 1997. Uh, the Indians get Marcus Gr- uh, Marquise Grissom. It, for him, it does not work out during his time in Cleveland. Um, there's no other way to put it. He was just a massive disappointment. Uh, struggled to be even. He was a well below league average bat. And the reason that just stood out is because the Indians traded uh, Kenny Lofton and Alan Embry for Grissom and Justice. And and talk about a different era, right? So uh, for the Braves, this deal was all about the fact that it saved them $6 million. Uh, Lofton was a sure upgrade over Grissom, but and Alan Embry was a really interesting young left-handed pitcher. Uh, I was going through, like, I was trying to remember, I think it was, you know, growing up listening to talk radio in the area, it was like Sindelar was always the big guy, and I remember he was huge on Embry and said he wouldn't trade him for anybody. Uh, and he was... Before the 1993 season, one of the top 50 prospects by uh, Baseball America at the time. I found that when I was digging. So Embry was a really interesting guy. He's not just a throw-in. Lofton is entering his walk year, which is why the Indians are going to move on. And they get Justice and Grissom, who they'd have multiple years of control with. And that was, I mean, that was a large part of the appeal. Unfortunately, it did not work out uh, for uh, Grissom in Cleveland. Uh, he wouldn't even last a full year. December of that year, he's traded along with Jeff Juden, who was someone else they had acquired at the deadline trying to get pitching for Mike Fetters, Ben McDonald, and Ron Ballone. Uh, if you recall, I believe that was after the issue with John Smiley that the Indians get uh, Ben McDonald, who had been a solid, steady type of guy at that point since 93, a 132 ERA+, plus, a 123, a 115, a 133, a 115. Uh, really solid steady guy, never pitched again. So they just, that's bad luck with pitchers continued. Um, they traded for McDonald, and then he just never made it back. Uh, you just can't make this stuff up. The David Justice was the big name at the time. Uh, we won't go into the off the field. There's some things now that certainly make him seem like a, uh, a less than stellar, less than uh, happy you know, nowadays it'd be a bigger deal if you're acquiring someone with domestic violence issues, which were being reported at the time. Uh, but, you know, when he came over, he was 6.3 million, 6.5, 7, and 7, and then 7.8. Uh, so he was locked up for a long time, uh, back when 6 and 7 million meant a lot. The Braves wanted to re-up Glavin and Maddox, so they needed to free up some money. And the Indians got um, a pair of former All-Stars. One of them uh, turned into... Uh, high-level performer, and eventually they flipped Justice to the Yankees for Zach Day, who they turned into Milton Bradley, uh, Ricky Leday, who had been a really big-time prospect at points. I remember him being hyped, uh, but didn't really do much, and Jake Westbrook, who turned into Corey Kluber, so uh, you can't really fault anything with Westbrook. He was a solid pitcher for a long time as well. Justice's first year in Cleveland, he makes the all-star team uh, hits 31 home runs, 329, 418, 596, 1.0113. I mean, he was 
finished fifth in the MVP. It was a strong season for him. Uh, he couldn't quite match it, but he was still a strong, uh, you know, the next year is a 114 OPS plus, a 124. Then 2000, that combined season was a 139. That was his second best season uh, between the Yankees and the Indians. I mean, I hadn't realized he hit 40 home runs that year in 2000. That's I, I never realized that he, you know, he had hit 40 once with the Braves. Uh, I mean, it felt like David Justice was a huge name in baseball at the time, like one everybody knew. But he had just two seasons. Let's put it this way. He had just three seasons with more than 30 home runs. Two of them came in Cleveland, that 40 home run uh, with the Braves. Just a three-time All-Star. Uh, I'm sorry. That's No, yeah, that's right. Just a three-time All-Star. Had won the Rookie of the Year in 1990. Um, you know, when Alomar won in the AL, he won in the NL. Uh, but the performance is there. He was a, a, a good player on the field. We'll just focus on that for now. Uh, the other reason the Indians were able to flip Grissom is they would re-sign Lofton in free agency. He would return home. Uh, having the depth in the outfield at that point uh, with Ramirez and Justice and Lofton would lead them to flip Brian Giles for Ricardo Rincon in the search for pitching. And that's one of those things, like when you start digging into the nitty-gritty of the Indians' search for pitching, it was just uh, awful. There's no other way to put it. Uh, it, was, it was, they seemed to swing and strike out and miss so often. Um, I mean, this is also the season, by the way, that 1997 season, where they went out and traded for Kevin Seitzer, one of the worst trades in Indians history. Seitzer would uh, not play well for the Indians in 64 games as a DH only with no power. And that was his, or I'm sorry, that was 96 where he was, He's actually okay over 22 games, and then 97 he comes back, and he's not good, and that's the end of his career. And you just kind of look at that and shake your head and can't help but get annoyed because that's Jeremy Burnitz that you give up for him, uh, who could have filled in that DH role uh, quite well at the time, who would then go on to have a string of uh, 97, 27 home runs, 38, 33, 31, 34, Good run there, and then you just can't get beyond the fact that for a team that was always chasing pitching, they traded Mark Clark for Burnitz in the first place, when at a time where Clark was a, a usable starter. So it was, uh, and then they're, you know, and before that, you're just constantly chasing um, pitching before and after that. Um, and so, yeah, Burnitz, no, I have that wrong. I thought Burnitz was for Mark Clark. Burnitz was for Paul Burr, Jerry Depoto, and Dave Malicki. Now I have to go look at the Mark Clark trade and see what random outfielder they got from Mark Clark. But either way, um, odd set of deals, chasing things down. I think the real takeaway is looking at what did occur, kind of the interesting story involved with what occurred, what players ended up where. Uh, and I think the big takeaway, kind of sad miss on all of this, is that the Indians should have kept chasing Jay Bell. Uh, that, I mean, they were obviously in a wheel and deal mode. They made the Matt Williams trade, and they were still trying to get a Jay Bell trade together. That not trading uh, Danny Graves for Jay Bell was definitely a swing and a miss. And the upgrade Jay Bell would have given them both in the field and offensively. If they swing that deal, what are the odds the Indians actually win that World Series? I mean, I think it has to give them a significant uh, better advantage. It's kind of one of those, huh, 
what happened deals. Like, it, you know, they were so close, but, uh, you know, what was the holdup? I, I would love to hear more about that. And, I mean, this is the what ifs are always the fun thing to look into. And to kind of just circle around on the Mark Clark deal. 1993, a 102 ERA plus, 94, a 122 ERA plus, 95, he struggles, it's an 89, comes back with the Mets, a 117 and a 109 uh, the next two years. So that's 96, 97 when the Indians were chasing pitching. The Indians traded him. I had thought it was for Brunitz, but I was wrong. Reed Cornelius, um, I had not remembered him. Uh, cup of coffee guy, never played with the Indians in the majors. And Ryan Thompson, so they did get an outfielder. Uh, Thompson barely played for the Indians in 96, eight games, um, and then he would, wow, you're just going through, he was uh, released uh, December of that year, so not a whole lot for that one, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's always interesting to look at the trades. The specific trades that happened here were just fun because you have a player who's traded away, who goes on to excel who's nearly reacquired in the same year they make another massive trade um and in both cases i think it's easy to say that it worked out for the indians in the end lofton came back justice was a high level performer who eventually was traded for multiple uh strong a assets that helped the team out jay bell led to a series of trades that allowed the indians to uh to add omar Vizcal. so it's it's just it's interesting to see how teams get to where they're going and what trades put things together. I hope you've enjoyed kind of this peek into the, this day in history. Uh, you have all been fantastic. Remember to help out as you can. Uh, visit sponsor sites, uh, rate and review, download, subscribe, listen, all of that stuff. It's fantastic. You are always fantastic. I am Jeff Ellis. This has been Locked On Indians. Tell your smart devices that they can play Locked On Indians, and they should start playing it automatically. Thank you as always, and go Tribe.